0: It was Thursday, uh, October the 6th, 2011, uh, in Tillman Hall on the campus of Clemson University uh, at an FCA gathering where God really got a hold of my heart uh, and saved me uh, that evening, October the 6th, 2011. And next Sunday, actually, uh, is October the 6th. Uh, That will be Eight years that uh, ago that God saved me, and I'm humbled that the Lord would choose to save me, to equip me, to continue to work in my life, and to use me for His glory. And as I've been praying for this sermon, I've been reflecting on uh, these past eight years that God has uh, saved me and called me His child, and uh, I'm humbled. I'm humbled just so thankful that he would save a a wretched man like myself. I praise God for his desire to see sinners saved. I praise him for saving me. I praise him for using one of my best friends to invite me to come to to that FCA gathering, for using a faithful preacher of the word to proclaim the gospel to me that evening. And I praise God for his continuing work in my life. And as I've learned and as I've grown over these past eight years, I've realized that God's heart is bigger than just me or you or us together. God's heart is to see the nations worship him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not merely good news for me or for you or for us. It is good news, the good news for all peoples from all nations, every tribe, every people, every tongue. And so may our hearts be enlarged this morning and this weekend as we have our missions conference coming up. May we not merely confess with our mouths that we, lo- that we want God to, to, uh, to save people from all nations, but would we zealously get behind what God is doing, not only locally here in our community, but also globally, by going and sending people to the nations. In order to help us to see God's heart for sinners this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. So please go ahead and open up your Bibles there if you haven't already done so. This is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of God. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to, him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one? And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, rejoicing, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Church, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word We thank you that we have access to it. We thank you that your word reveals your heart to us. We thank you so much that your word reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. God, may we never get over the gospel. May we never get over our own salvation individually, but also collectively. God, would you renew our hearts this morning? Would you help us to see the gospel from a different angle, afresh, anew this morning? God, align our hearts with yours. Help us to see your heart for sinners, and may we share in your heart as well. And God, I pray that you would work in the lives of those that may not know you uh, this morning, that are here among us God, would you work in those friends' hearts? Would you help them to see your heart to save them and that you have made a way through your son to save them? And so, God, would you give them faith this morning? God, would you anoint me, would you guide me, and would you use me as your vessel to proclaim your word to your people this morning for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Luke he uh, sets the context here of this encounter with Jesus and these tax collectors and sinners in verses one through two, and and it, we see that Jesus was gathering uh, and he was eating with these tax collectors and these sinners. Well, the tax collectors they were uh, they were obviously the people that collected taxes, right? It's, it's in the name, um, and and these people were known though for being very immoral, uh, very dishonest about their collecting of taxes. They were paid a percentage off of what they were able to collect. And so, of course, uh, in order to make more money, they were trying to get as much as they could uh, from uh, their fellow, uh, fellow people. Um, and so they were trying to convince people to pay more than they actually had to pay. And so, believe it or not, people despised them because of that. Um, and so uh, they, they, people did not like the tax collectors. They were, they were seen as outcasts, uh, as, as people that you didn't want to relate to. And then you have the sinners. These were the, the, the people that the Pharisees looked down and, and said, these people are immoral, uh, they are un, unrighteous, um, and, and so we don't have anything to do with them. Uh, this could also include the poor, uh, the crippled, the blind, the lame, uh, the outcasts of society. So there was, a, there was a great number of tax collectors and sinners that were coming, gathering to see Jesus, to, to eat with him, to fellowship with him, and to hear him teach. And this was something that occurred all throughout Jesus's ministry. Um, he, was, he was constantly encountering people who were outcasts who were, who were sinners. Um, and so we see several places throughout just even the Gospel of Luke and we'll mention at least mention a few of them uh, this uh, later on in the sermon, uh, where Jesus is encountering these tax collectors and their center, these sinners. Um, so this was a regular practice for him. And of course, the Pharisees did not like this; they were grumbling because Jesus was eating with these tax collectors and sinners, so they were very unhappy it didn 't make any sense to them because table fellowship or sharing a meal with somebody during that time was to, was, was in, a, in a sense to welcome them and to accept them into your life and, and, and so they didn 't like that they didn 't like that and so the, the Pharisees would set up this, they set up this extra biblical rule that Uh, This law, like, you can't eat with a tax collector or a sinner. Like, that's wrong. Uh, But, of course, we know that Jesus didn't come to fulfill the Pharisees' law. He came to fulfill God's law. Now, let's be clear. Jesus was interacting with these people, these tax collectors and sinners, in order to share the gospel, the hope of the the gospel with them, to see the lost saved, not to take part in their sin. Uh, Of course, we know that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And so whenever he encountered them. He didn't fall into temptation or sin with them. Rather, he was seeking to offer salvation to them. Jesus didn't care what the Pharisees thought about him. His desire was to see that lost sinners would be saved. So in response to the Pharisees grumbling, getting upset and worked up about Jesus' encounter with these people, Jesus told a parable. I told two parables here and, and then a the third one um, later on, which we're not going to cover this morning. But a parable is a figurative story that communicates a spiritual truth. It's a figurative story that communicates a theological truth. And the point behind these two parables was to show that God's heart is to save sinners. God's heart is to save sinners. And in verses 3 through 6, we see the parable of the lost sheep. Let's read that again. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. So he tells a a story that would be very relatable, very familiar to his audience, um, to to these people. It was very common for uh, for shepherds to have a a flock of 100 or or even more uh, sheep out in the open country. And, of course, uh, inevitably you're going to have a sheep that kind of runs off uh, and, and goes astray. And um, so what does the shepherd do when he finds out that there's a sheep missing? Well, he goes out, and he goes and finds that sheep. And he he searches diligently until he finds that sheep dead or alive. And if he finds this sheep alive, uh, he picks up this injured or this confused or this, this lost sheep who is hurting and throws the sheep up above his shoulder and lovingly and graciously carries that sheep back to the sheepfold, uh, to the rest of the sheep. He brings that sheep back home and into the flock. He says, if you had 100 sheep, would you not go and find that one? Of course, the answer is implied there. Yes, you would all, his whole audience, if you were a shepherd, you would go after that one sheep and go and find it. And when you find it, would you not rejoice alongside your friends and your neighbors praising God, yes, thank you, Lord, I found this lost sheep. And that's really the climax, the climax of the parable, is this uh, when he finds this lost sheep and brings him back back home to the rest of the sheep and triumphantly rejoices with his neighbors and with his friends. We also see the parable of the lost coin in 8 and 9. Let's read that again. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. So this coin that this woman lost uh, was could have been a part of her headdress or part of her dowry uh, the payment that would go to the groom when she was married and um, and so she lost part of it uh, we don't we don't know for sure that that's what it was but that, that could have been it um, however the, the main point is that she only had ten coins um, only had ten coins and so she a tenth of what she owned a tenth of what she owned she had lost I mean could you imagine that um, a tenth is is, is a lot uh, of what you own um, and, and so could you ima- imagine losing a tenth of all that you have and not knowing where that was, or that, that money, uh, not knowing where that was? This is how the woman felt in that moment. She had lost this coin. And so she, what does she do? She gets a, a lamp, uh, in, which was pro- she was probably in a windowless, or not very many windows in, in her house, and sweeping and searching with this light diligently until she finds this coin. So once she finds it, she gets the coin, and she celebrates, she rejoices with her friends and her neighbors. So these are, these are the two parables. That's, that's kind of a brief summary of those two parables. So what is the point of that, the point of these two parables? Well, let's look at verses 7 and 10. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 10, Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So when he says in heaven, uh, this is a reference to obviously where God and the angels live. And so this, is a, this is, was a way to kind of not say God's name, but implying a reference to God. And so God and the angels, there, there's this heavenly rejoicing whenever a sinner is saved. Uh, Whenever this sheep was found or this coin was found, there's this heavenly celebration. So Luke's making the point that God uh, delights or rejoices, celebrates when even one sinner comes to faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And he would have even more joy in one sinner repenting than 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance now, let's be clear with the 99 righteous, you know, no one is uh, ultimately, you know, righteous and, and, and without sin. Uh, of course, we are, uh, we are righteous, perfectly righteous and spotless by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we all still continue to live in sin. Um, and so there's no one who doesn't need to repent of, of sin. But the sense here is that there's, there's a devout, these, are, these 99 people are devout, and there's no major uh, sin that they need to repent of. Um, and this, and again, this certainly doesn't say either that God doesn't rejoice when he sees his children uh, continue to grow in Christ's likeness and to be sanctified over time. He most certainly does. But the point of this parable is to simply show how much joy it brings God to save sinners, even one sinner. God rejoices whenever he uses his people uh, to communicate and preach the gospel to those that don't know him and sees them safe, um, saved. And so we ought to rejoice just as God does. And I found it very interesting here that whenever the, the shepherd found his lost sheep and whenever the woman found this, lost, this coin that she had lost, I found it very interesting that they didn't just kind of celebrate on their own. They, they No, they had a party. They, they brought together their, their, their friends and their neighbors, and they celebrated the fact that they had found this lost sheep and that they had found this lost coin. And so we, too, ought to celebrate the work of God together as the family of God. Whenever we see God save someone or do a work in somebody's life, then we are celebrating together as a community of believers we, we invite our friends, our neighbors, and, and we celebrate and praise God for what he has done. God loves to see sinners saved so much so that he had to act on this desire to see us saved. So we don't just see the truth that God's heart is to see sinners saved just in theory, but we also see God show his heart through his actions he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners. So we see this desire become an action in, the, in God sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners. I'm going to read 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. You can flip over a couple of pages uh, there to follow along if you'd like um, to, to see this idea that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God didn't merely just show His heart uh, by by in theory, but also in action. So, First Timothy two one through seven, it says this. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So the context of those seven verses is this: is um, is Paul encouraging us to pray for government government leaders uh, in order that we might live a quiet, peaceful, godly life, so that we can further the gospel and proclaim the gospel to those in our uh, in our communities. And um, and in verse four, we see the truth. Uh, that God longs to see sinners saved. It says that he longs and desires that all would know him, that all would worship him as their Lord and Savior. Once again, this is the point that Luke is making in, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 10 in these two parables, is that God longs that people would worship him as the one true king. And we see the gospel message clearly in verses 5 and 6 see that there is one God, that there is one mediator, Christ Jesus, and that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for all. So there's one true God. All other, all other gods are false. There is no other, there's no other true God. Yahweh, the God of the Bible, alone is the king. He alone is God. And Christ is the only way, the only mediator, the only way for man to get back to God. He is the one true mediator. He's the only way we can be reconciled to God. And then we also see that Jesus shed his blood, his precious blood upon that cross to reconcile us back to himself. So it is through his shed blood that we are ransomed back to God. Just a few verses in First in Timothy uh, chapter one, verse 15, it says this, "The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. The gospel message is completely trustworthy and worthy of our full acceptance. Christ Jesus did, in fact, come into the world to save sinners. Friends, perhaps you were here this morning and you have not believed in Jesus. You have not confessed him as your Lord and Savior and and cried out to him to forgive you of your sins. Well, it says here that the gospel message is worthy of our full acceptance and it is completely trustworthy. And so, friend, I urge you, I plead with you to believe on Christ because he is the one true God, the one true mediator, and he alone can ransom you from your sin back to God. He, he alone paid the price with his precious blood. There's no other way. And so I urge you to believe on him for salvation. The gospel is completely trustworthy and worthy of our full acceptance. And so if you have not accepted the gospel, I urge you and plead with you to believe this morning right now. Jesus didn't come into the world to save the righteous. He came into the world to save lost sinners. In Luke 15, 1 and 2, we we clearly see the disgust of these so-called righteous Pharisees that Jesus would even interact with these lost sinners, these tax collectors and immoral people who They say that the Pharisees say that that he shouldn't have had any interaction with at all. But that's why Jesus came. He came to save people like those tax collectors and those sinners. People like us, like you and me. Luke 5, 27 through 32 makes this point very well. Uh, This is another encounter that Jesus has with the, uh, the tax collectors and the sinners. Luke 5, 27 through 32 says this. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their, their scribes grumbled. Sound familiar? At his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the context here is is Jesus is calling one of his disciples, Levi or Matthew, who, oh, by the way, was a tax collector, right? And then Jesus, what do they do? Jesus has a feast with Levi and this large company of tax collectors and others. And he invites them into his home. And what do the Pharisees do? Same story in Luke 15. They grumble. They get upset. They're, they're, They're thinking, what in the world is this guy doing? eating with these sinners, these tax collectors, these immoral people. But, of course, Jesus' response is, I didn't come to save those who are righteous. I came to save those that are sick, those that are sinners. I came to call sinners to repentance, not the righteous. God's heart is to see sinners saved. And he shows this clearly by interacting with these people, with these tax collectors and these sinners. And he even called one of these tax collectors to be his disciple, one of his 12 disciples. Jesus came to save sinners, not the righteous. As I was reading the, the parable of the lost sheep and thinking about that, I, I couldn't help but also think about John chapter 10, where we see the truth that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. If you could turn over a couple pages to John chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. I'm going to read those. You can follow along in your copy of the scriptures. Again, that's John chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, What precious truths these are, that Jesus is the door of the sheep, and if anyone enters by him and him alone, they will be saved. Jesus is the good shepherd who came to lay down his life so that we might have abundant life. Abundant life. And he knows his sheep by name, and we know his voice. What precious truths these are, that Jesus is the good shepherd who humbly laid down his life so that we might have life. And the, one of the verses I really want to emphasize here um, is verse 16, because we're talking about uh, the, the gospel going forth to the nations, that God's heart is for the nations, not just, uh, not just one particular people, but all peoples. Verse 16 says this, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So this fold is a reference to Israel, right? There, there, there are more, than just, more sheep than just of this fold. It's not just Israel, but it's also the Gentiles. It's also these other people, the nations, there will be many sheep from Israel, but there will be many sheep from another fold, the Gentiles as well. And he came to, to gather these other sheep that are not a part of, uh, of this other fold, the, Jew, the Jewish fold, but people that are of the fold from all nations. And so these two folds, these two groups of sheep, they will become one. They will become one fold, and they will have one shepherd. And we know that that one shepherd is the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ Christ. So the gospel brings both Jews and Gentiles together into the same fold. What a glorious truth that that is. People from all nations coming together to be a part of the one fold under the one shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we've seen this truth as Ken has been going through the Abrahamic covenant recently, in Genesis 12 and 15. Genesis twelve three says, "'I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse.'" And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God didn't just say he was going to bless the Israelites. He said he was going to bless all the families of the earth, a reference to the nations. And so this was always God's plan. It has always been God's plan to redeem sinners from all of the nations back to himself. Revelation 5, 9, and 10 says this, and they sing a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. God, the father sent God, the son into this world to, to ransom his life So that sinners from all nations could come and worship God and have access to God through faith in himself. And those whom God has bought with his precious blood, we are now his instruments to go and to take the gospel to the nations. So God's people are his instruments to reach the lost on this earth. Those whom he has bought with his precious blood are now his ambassadors, his Uh, his instruments to take the gospel. Um, And we see this in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. We won't go there this morning, um, but I pray that as we go into the missions conference week, that uh, as we really unpack this, that that we will be challenged and that that we will be encouraged in this truth. But whether you were like the blind man in John chapter 9, who really all he knew was that he was blind, but now he sees, right? That was all he could tell the Pharisees. I don't know. I don't know much about this guy, but I know that I was blind, but now I see, and I worship him as my Lord. So whether we are like the blind man in John 9, or whether we are a super mature believer who has been faithfully walking with Jesus for 50 years, we are all his ambassadors. We are all his representatives. Every single Christian is a part of the mission of God. We may all play different, different positions, but we're all on the team, and we're all in the game, spreading the gospel to the nations. We are called to take part in this, obviously, locally, but we are also called to take part in this globally, whether that is by sending, by going, whatever it may be. We are his instruments. God loves to see sinners saved, and we, the church, are his chosen instruments to take that good news to the nations, to carry out his mission. So as we close, I just have a question for you to consider this morning. The question is, do you share God's heart to see sinners saved? Do you share in God's heart to see sinners saved? Do you long to see sinners come to faith in Christ? Are you like the psalmist in Psalm one nineteen one thirty six 136, who says this, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Are you deeply broken over the fact that there are lost sinners here in this community around us, but also all over the world? to all nations. Does that deeply break your heart? That there are people around us and also all throughout this world, they're going to hell. They are under the just condemnation of God because of their sin. And many of them don't even have access to the gospel. And so does that, break your heart does that bring you to tears does it bring you unspeakable joy whenever a non-believer comes to faith in Christ unspeakable joy delight whenever God saves a sinner or maybe you have the opposite reaction like the elder brother in the, the, the parable of the, the prodigal son, where the, the elder brother, um, he whenever the younger brother comes back, what does he do? He's mad. He's mad that the father is now celebrating and, and throwing a feast, partying because his son was lost and now he is found, and this elder brother is angry. Um, perhaps there are people in your life that that you would, feel like, man, they don't, God, they, God doesn't need to save them. I don't want God to save them. Perhaps there are people in your life that you feel that about, or perhaps you feel that in general. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe you're kind of in the middle. Maybe you're kind of just indifferent, like, uh, it doesn't matter to me. Like, okay, like if God saves a sinner, like, cool, that's awesome, but doesn't really, it doesn't really move me. So where are you at on that spectrum? Like, do, you, do you long to see sinners saved? Do, are you broken over the fact that there are people around you, around us, and all over the world that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Or perhaps are you angry like the elder brother? Or maybe, maybe you're just kind of indifferent. Maybe you're in the middle of that. Where are you at with that? Does your heart share in God's heart to see sinners saved? Many of you know, uh, my wife and I, Kayla, we just had our first son, Samuel, and he's three and a half months old now. And uh, ever since he's been born, uh, every day, uh, we are uh, praying and begging God to do a work in his life at a young age. For God to save him. For Samuel to worship him as the one true king. To follow Jesus and live in joyful obedience to him all the days of his life. That's what we are praying and, and we long for him to know the Lord. And, uh, and so I'm sure many of you uh, with kids uh, relate. Um, in fact, I know I've spoken to many of you, uh, and, and it's on your heart that your children would faithfully walk with the Lord. And, and to some of you, that is, that is one of the most important things in your life, and rightfully so. It should be. But the point is, or the reality is, that we should have that heart for all people. We should have that kind of heart, that kind of longing, that kind of desire, that brokenheartedness that we have for our kids, for all people. We ought to share God's heart to see people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all peoples worship him. Praise God that he has a heart to see sinners saved. And God longs to see sinners saved so much so that he would send his son into this world to be crushed, to be crucified on a cross as our substitute, shedding his precious blood to ransom us back to himself. And he didn't come just to to save those that 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 are righteous. He came to save the sinners like you and me. He didn't come just to save the Jews. He came to save people from every nation, every tribe every language, and every people. And so I beg for God to move in my heart and your heart and all of our hearts to have a heart that longs to see sinners saved all throughout this community and all throughout this world. Church, would you please pray with me? Lord, we praise you for your heart to see sinners saved. We thank you so much that you have not left us hopeless and in despair because of our sin, but God, that you have made a way for us to have true hope, true joy, and salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to shed his precious blood upon that cross on Calvary, to reconcile us to yourself. God, we praise you for that. We praise you for your heart to see us saved and to see sinners saved all throughout this world. We praise you for the gospel. God, I pray for anyone in this room, any of our friends in this room that are separated from you, that are still dead in their sins and trespasses. Oh God, would you move in their hearts right now. God, I plead with you to do that. God, draw them to yourself in this moment. Help them to see that they are completely hopeless and in despair right now apart from Christ because they are dead in their sins and they are deserving of your just, righteous condemnation and that their just punishment is hell, eternal separation from you. But God, help them to see that there is hope in your son. God, give them faith to trust in Jesus Christ who is the one true God, who is the one true mediator, who came to ransom himself on that cross, to shed his blood, to to reconcile us to you. And God, I I plead with you to work in my heart and all of our hearts, to give us a heart that longs to see people know you as their Lord and and, and as their Savior. God, help our hearts to reflect your heart, not only here locally, and in this community, but also globally. That we would desire long, be brokenhearted, that there are people who don't have access to the gospel, people that don't know the gospel. And Lord, would we be a people uh, who long to see them saved? And Lord, would you help us to, to be faithful, to jump into the game, to be a part of your mission? Lord, help us to see your heart, that you long to see sinners saved. And Lord, may we share in that. We pray this in faith, in Jesus' name, amen.